Hello and welcome to What Does the Bible Say? I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Davis, and this is the sixth in a series of teachings on verses in the New Testament that make Christians think, now that I'm saved, I don't have to keep God's commandments. I want to tell you folks, if you read the New Testament a little closer, you'll find that that's not the case. But there are verses that make you think that. So this series is to look at those verses and see exactly what does the Bible say. Today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit, and is capitalized, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, expressly says, so this is a teaching that comes directly from the Holy Spirit, that in latter times, and we're clearly in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Well, you can't depart from the faith unless you've been part of the faith. So somehow false teachers are making inroads, leading people away from God and into apostasy. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about apostasy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in other New Testament scriptures. But it says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Messiah taught in Matthew chapter 7 that these false teachers are like wolves in sheep's clothing. You see the sheep's clothing and you think they're truly Christian leaders, but inside they're ravenous wolves. Their message is not from God, but from demonic sources. And that's why it says giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Too many pastors skip over this first verse and assume that Paul is talking here about God's commandments. But Paul would never talk about God's commandments as being the result of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If you doubt that, read Acts chapter 24 verse 14, where Paul says he believes everything written in the law and the prophets. Verse 2 says they're speaking lies in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy because they're pretending to be God's ministers, but they're not. Their message is from Satan, from the evil one. Hasatan, we say in Hebrew, it means the adversary. It's the title for the prosecuting attorney in a criminal court. So the one who's accusing the brethren night and day, that's the source of these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons goes on to say, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, which means they have been so engrossed in sin for such a long time that they can no longer tell right from wrong. Their conscience does not convict them when they're walking in sin. Verse 3 says, forbidding to marry. Does God's commandment, statutes, and judgments command us not to marry. No, just the opposite. It commands us to marry, and it actually prohibits in many cases divorce and certainly frowns on it. So we know from this verse that we're not talking about God's commandments. It says in commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What is truth? Psalm 119 verse 142 says the Torah is truth. The law is truth. The commandments, statutes, and judgments of God are 
what constitutes truth. So verse 3, while people take it out of context in the middle of a sentence and say, this means commanding us not to eat pigs, that's not what it's saying. Let's look a little bit deeper. Commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received. We're going to look in a few minutes back at Leviticus chapter 11 where God says what animals are food, what animals are not food. And it says, created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Those who know God's commandments know which animals are food and which are not food. Verse 4 says, for every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. That's absolutely true. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. And all of God's creation was good. What it does not say here, it does not say for every creature of God is food. Just stop and take a look at that for a minute. Some animals are meant to be food, others are not. It says, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, that is, you thank God for it. And that's where too many people put a period. But verse, four, verse 5 says for. The word for means because. Why is it that we're not to refuse the things God gave us as food? Because it is sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart. It's set apart by the word of God, which means if God said you can eat it, says and prayer, and you give God thanksgiving for it, then don't let people tell you you can't have it. This is not talking about pigs and shrimps and lobsters. The whole section here is about ascetic Gnosticism, which is an, oh, how do I put it? It's a philosophy that invades and permeates many religions. And that philosophy says that you must deny yourself all earthly pleasure in order to ascend up to Godhood. That you as a human being can become a God if you will simply deny yourself all earthly pleasures. So that's why the ascetics forbid to marry, because the married life can be pleasurable, therefore you can't have it. If you enjoy a bowl of ice cream, no, 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 they say you can't have it. You must deny yourself all earthly pleasures. If you enjoy a good, oh, prime rib, they say no, you can't have it. Even though God said we can eat the prime rib, they say no, you cannot. So they, they have departed from the faith, which arises from the commandments of God, have told you not to follow God's commandments, but instead to follow their man-made rules and regulations, which as we studied last time in Colossians chapter 2, have no value whatsoever. Let's look at Leviticus 11. Where does God say what we can eat and not eat? It's in Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel. As we've talked before, that's a broad term. When Israel came out of Egypt, they came out with a great mixed multitude, according to Exodus chapter 12. Though that great mixed multitude were Gentiles that got grafted into Israel, just as believers today from the Gentile world, when they get saved, get grafted into Israel, according to Romans chapter 11. From that point forward, they're all referred to by God as the children of Israel. 
Israel was not the man's name, it was Jacob. God changed his name to Israel when he came to faith. So those that have the faith of Israel are called by God the children of Israel. In Ephesians chapter 2, God refers to us as the commonwealth of Israel, a term with similar meaning. And then we have the word saying. The word saying means what follows is a quote. And a quote is, out of the Lord's own lips. These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. So God's word here is, these animals are the ones you may eat. Verse 3, among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Does a cow have cloven hooves? Yes. Does it chew the cud? Yes. Therefore, God says you may eat it. Does a pig have cloven hoofs? Yes. Does it chew the cud? No. Therefore, it's not on the approved list, you might say. Verse 4 goes on to say, Nevertheless, these you shall not eat. And those words, you shall not eat, in Hebrew are lo tochlu, and it means not ever. It's not a temporary prohibition. It's a permanent commandment not to eat. Among those that chew the cud are those that have cloven hooves, the camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves. It's unclean to you. So it has to have both cloven hooves and chew the cud. It goes on to say, verse 5, the rock hyrax, which is a type of rabbit, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, which is another type of rabbit, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, ding, 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 there's the piggy. Though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat. Lo tochlu in Hebrew means thou shalt not ever eat. And their carcasses you shall not touch, they're unclean to you. Verse 9 now talks about the catfish, the lobsters, etc., Verse 9, these you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. Does catfish have fins? Yes. Does it have scales? No. Then it's not on the list. Verse 10, but all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they're an abomination to you. Anytime God says this is an abomination, it means it's really offensive to God. Verse 11, they shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. Do lobsters have fins and scales? No. Shrimps? No. Oysters? No. Mussels? No. So they are, in the words of God, an abomination. And if you eat them, as we read on later, you're going to find, if you eat them, God calls you an abomination in his sight. Come judgment day, how many of you want to be introduced to God as, here's an abomination? Of course not. Now about birds, can we eat turkeys? Yes. Uh, verse 13, And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They're an abomination. Well, what are they? It says the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, 
the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. Yes, I'm sorry, folks. God said you can't eat bats. Verse 20, how about insects? You know, they're talking about putting all these insects in our food products. Why would they do that? Well, let's read verse 20 and see. It says, all flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth, these you may eat. The locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Now I give thanks to God regularly that he said I may eat those things, but I don't have to, because I certainly don't want to. It goes on and on in this chapter, but those are the basic rules. But I want to bring us down in Leviticus 11 to verse 43. It says, You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, which means to set yourselves apart from the ways of the world. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defy yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Verse 46 says, This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters, and of every creature that creeps on the earth, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, and between the animal that may be eaten, and the animal that may not be eaten. If you remember from the last few teachings, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 44, and in the Messianic kingdom with the Messiah on the throne, they're still going to be teaching the difference between the clean and the unclean animals. Whether they're clean or unclean was established at creation. If you remember in Genesis chapter 7, Noah took seven pairs of the clean animals onto the ark, but only one pair of the unclean. That was in Genesis 7. Animals have always been clean or unclean by the word of God. Now, if those words sounded familiar, where it said, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. If that sounds familiar, 1 Peter chapter 1 quotes from that particular section of Leviticus chapter 11. You may not realize that, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's quoting from these, these verses about which animals may be eaten and which may be not. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Sober means right-minded. Be in your right mind. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah as obedient children. That is, as of children who obey the Father, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
Now about this time, there's people that have turned off the radio and others that say, oh yeah, Wayne, but nowhere in the New Testament does it say not to eat, touch, etc. unclean things. The answer is yes, it does. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and start in verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. How is a Christian, a believer in God, the temple of the Holy God? And that's because the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, in your body. Do you ask God to dwell amongst uncleanness? If you think so, read on. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, the therefore is because the Lord will dwell in your body, in your heart. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. That word touch means to cling to. Paul says, let go of that which is unclean. And here's why. Do not touch what is unclean, the Lord says, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Paul took verses that were written specifically to Israel and Isaiah and says these apply to the Gentile Christians every bit as much as it does to Israel. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. And the scripture says, do not touch that which is unclean and I'll receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Nowhere does he say, if you're a pig-eating pagan, I'm going to dwell in your heart. But it doesn't end there. Remember, the original scriptures didn't have chapters and verses. So we have to go on to chapter 7, verse 1, which begins with therefore. Therefore means because of what was just said. Because God said, don't touch what is unclean and I'll be a father to you. It says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. All filthiness. Get rid of everything unclean. Cleanse it from the body. Have nothing to do with it. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Paul associates avoiding unclean foods with holiness. Why is that so important? Because in Hebrews chapter 12, we find a very important verse in verse 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Am I saying that we're saved by keeping commandments? Absolutely not. You cannot now, nor could you ever, be saved by keeping commandments. The giving of the commandments of God were not for the purposes of earning salvation. They were instruction in righteousness for those children of God who have been saved. Let me take you to Galatians chapter 3 and just remind us what the, uh, the Apostle Paul taught us in Galatians. If you look back at verse 5 in Galatians chapter 3, says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
just as Abraham, quote, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. See, he uses sons of Abraham here, just like they use children of Israel in the Old Testament. It says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That word faith, in Hebrew, imunah, comes from the same verb, he'amin, from which we get the word amen. It means God said something, and I believe it. When God speaks, I believe it. He gives me a commandment, I follow it. That is faith. It's not salvation by works. It's only those who are saved by faith that will be obedient to God. And then it goes on later in Galatians chapter 3, the very same chapter that reminds us that it was never a way of salvation. In verse 15, Paul says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. So Paul says, okay, if I'm being too theological, let me just talk to you straight, like a man in the street. Though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. That's a concept we don't have in American jurisprudence anymore, but we did have until recently. And that is that a contract that was under seal could not be changed or broken even by the parties to it. So if you and I made a contract for you to sell me your car for $500, and then one of us changed our mind, didn't matter. We have a contract that's legally enforceable. You can't change a covenant once it's under seal. And that's what he's saying here. And he's talking about the, the covenant with Abraham. So verse 16, he goes back to Abraham and says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say it to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Messiah. And this I say, here's the part we really need to look at. And this I say, that the law, he's talking about the giving of the commandments of God that we call the Torah in Hebrew or the law in English at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. The law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God and Messiah that it should make the promise of no effect. Meaning God promised and shed blood to seal the promise that salvation is by faith. That's to Abraham. And Abraham was given that promise 430 years later before God came down on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 and gave us the commandments. Once God makes a covenant sealed with blood that salvation is by faith, he cannot change it because God does not lie. So what Paul is trying to tell us is that the commandment keeping is not a way of salvation. It never was intended to be that. It was intended to be instruction in righteousness. Do those terms sound familiar? Instruction in righteousness? I bet they do. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and see why. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you've learned them. He's talking to Timothy, his son in the faith. That from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. The only scriptures that Timothy had from the time he was a child is what you and I might call the Old Testament, or the children of Israel would call the Tanakh. But verse 16 says, all scripture, or it's better translated, every scripture. See, that phrase is given by inspiration of God. The Greek says theonuptos, is God-breathed. It came out of the mouth of God. So scripture is that which God says out of his own lips. And what's it good for? Is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what the Torah is. The law is God's instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Which is why it says in 1 Corinthians that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Meaning, it doesn't matter if you are born a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is, do you keep God's commandments? If you do, the only way you're going to keep them is because of your faith. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, Does our faith make the law void? His answer, absolutely not. On the contrary, our faith establishes the law. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Now, you may stop and say, okay, wait, okay, I've listened to all this. But how can we know for sure that all these scriptures we've covered for the last six weeks don't say we can eat pigs? Well, to answer that, I go back to prophecy. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God told us that every word of his prophets must come to pass. So let's look at the prophet Isaiah in chapter 66, which is a prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled because it's a prophecy of the second coming of Messiah. When the Lord himself descends from heaven all the way to the earth, the battle of Armageddon takes place and the Messiah establishes himself on his throne. He talks about those that are going to die when he returns. In Isaiah 66, 14 to 17, it says, When you see this, that is God defending Jerusalem, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. That word indignation in Hebrew is za'am. It means the tribulation period, the wrath of God being poured out on the world for that seven-year period. For behold, the Lord will come with fire. In a prophecy, fire is a picture of judgment. And with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, not Jews, all flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. Verse 17 lets us see who's he talking about. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, that is idolatry. Eating swine's flesh, that's the ham sandwich, the bacon, the pork bellies, etc. And the abomination, remember Leviticus 11, all those things that he called an abomination. So this is the way of saying all unclean foods. And the mouse. How many of you say, I would never eat a mouse? 
Well, mice, squirrels, rabbits, they're all in the same category. If you've eaten a squirrel or a possum or one of those kind of animals, in God's eyes, you ate a mouse. But it says, shall be consumed together, says the Lord. So the Lord is going to slay himself personally, all those who are participating in idolatry or the eating of these unclean foods. So when God said in Leviticus chapter 11, if you eat these things, you will be abominable in my sight. That's what he meant. He means that you will be abhorred by the Lord when he returns. When he returns in judgment, is that the way you want to stand before the Lord? Have him say, you're an abomination. You're an abhorrence. Get out of my sight. Or as the Lord put it himself in Matthew chapter 7 verse 23, then I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is, you who will not follow the commandments, statutes, and judgments of the Lord. In his mind, he says, I'm going to judge you, and you will have no part in my kingdom. So if you think you're going to eat a ham sandwich on the way up to heaven, the Lord says, you are sorely mistaken. So while the scripture, like 1 Timothy chapter 4, might at first glance look like maybe it's okay to eat a pig, it's not. He says the animals that God made to be eaten as food, he calls clean. And if they're called clean by God, and you give God thanks for it, then don't let others tell you not to have it.